Why is it that any time in a movie or a show you need to draw blood, you they always cut their hands? It seems like the last place I would want to cut. It's so in, inconvenient, and it takes a long time to heal, and you got to do stuff with your hands. They cut the wrong side. You can cut the back of your hand. Yeah. You, you can't cut the folding middle, like, uh, lifeline it's, palm reading section of your hand to see what comes out yeah, of it. It's always fingers and, like, the palm of your hands. And, I mean, I've gotten a finger... Uh, I'm sorry. I've gotten a paper cut on my finger, and my whole hand has been out of commission for, like, a week. Yeah, you do, you do that so, thing. <laughs> you hold your finger like it's a dainty teacup thing. You hold it off of whatever you're doing until that paper cut gets better or something. Yeah, or, like, why not the forearm or something? Or, like, the back of the... I don't know. There's got to be a better place to do that other than just your hand, right? I guess the I guess that makes sense for the Klingons. They'd want it to be as burdensome as possible, I suppose. True. But it, it doesn't make point. sense in a, in a lot of other contexts where you just... A lot of the time they do it when they just need blood and they cut themselves right there. And that doesn't make any sense. But this little ritual, I guess, I can get behind. Yeah, I can get behind the ritual. But just in general, they always do it from the fingers or the hand. And it always seems like I could have picked a hundred different places that would have been more convenient. <laughs> I had a... um. A diabetic friend when I was younger, growing up in elementary school, and uh, he always had to do his blood testing stuff with the, the pinprick and stuff like multiple mm-hmm. times a day. It always gave me the heebie-jeebies, but he obviously it's something you get used to because he was able to do it himself as a young kid and like draw blood and test it and stuff like that. So it's uh, you know, you uh, you adapt, I suppose, to what your circumstances and you get over your heebie-jeebies about it. Let's see. When it rains, we're going to talk about the uh, the next episode in the DS9 final arc. But first, we're going to play some music. Accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Okay, welcome to When It Rains. It's the 21st episode of the seventh season, aired on May 5th, 1999. Teleplay goes to Renee Echevarria. Story goes to Renee Echevarria and Spike Steingasser, directed by Michael Dorn. In this episode, Cisco and Kira aid Damar's rebellion against the Dominion. Bashir discovers that Odo is infected with the disease that is threatening the founders. And here we go, Clay. I suppose, um, mm. if anything... Uh, it's a nicely thematic episode that builds off of the uh, the expression "when it rains, it pours." Because this does this episode does a little bit more of what I would expect a serialized story to do, which is to heighten stakes for everybody that's involved. Sure, and sure. I thought this one is actually the, we've gotten some feedback on Twitter saying that people disagreed with. I think Kyle made the point that he liked the last episode the best, other than the finale. Um, I think this one is better than that. This is probably the best episode, at least as like a construction of an episode, I think, than of all of the ones that we've done so far to this point. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah, I think I would agree. Um, my issue, I don't know. My my problem with these episodes still remains that each storyline seems to have like one thing that they do per episode and it just takes the entire episode to get there and they continue to focus on stuff that I wish or not focus on the stuff I wish they would spend more time on like at the the uh opening uh cold open when Cisco is telling Kira that she has to go help train the Cardassians how to be terrorists I I almost like stood up and clapped because like that's that's the shit that I want to see that's great character work putting those two head to head and making them have to work with each other 
And then there was only like two or three scenes, and they were all kind of short, and it wasn't super satisfying. I'm sure they're going to do more with it, but still, I, I was I was hoping that would, was going to be more of the uh, thrust of the episode. Yeah. Um, and the stuff with Bashir and O'Brien felt too drawn out to me. Uh, again, it ended in a really interesting place, but it just felt like they were taking a long time to get there. Um, I continue to not like the Kai Win Ducat stuff. There's very little of it in this episode. I will say that there's only I think there's only two scenes of those two, uh, which is yeah, fine. and it's it's fine. But even there, like what they end up doing to move that story forward is is still not very interesting to me. Um, I mean, I guess I guess there's something interesting about casting Ducat out into onto the streets of of Bajor, um, but I don't know. It didn't it didn't seem super satisfying to me. To this um, to this point, I haven't. Um I haven't been me- reading much behind the scenes stuff uh, for mm-hmm. whatever reason. I normally read a little bit, but I, I wasn't actively going into this final arc without doing that. But I, I have been for this one just because I had uh, some time to kill and I was scrolling around looking at it. They, um, I, it's funny because before we had started this, I was, we you get some you get some comments or feedback about our criticism, which is just like this is of the era. This is like how TV was made, so it's it's not fair to hold it against the show at this point because mm-hmm. it's like prototypical, and they don't, you know, like this is for '90s TV. This is actually pretty good. And I was thinking about that, and like kind of like as I was falling asleep last night, saying like if I could go interview the writers uh, and the producers at this point, like right after they had created this episode, these episodes, and like interview them back in 1999 about what they thought, how well things had gone. I wonder what they would have mm-hmm. said, and yeah. um. Reading the behind the scenes stuff, there they were mightily struggling with pacing for this. Like they just they they were unprepared for how much story they had to spread out over ten episodes, yeah. where they wanted the stuff to come in. They started realizing as it was being written, they didn't really they had broken the story, but apparently as they were going through, they kept coming up with these small things that they had to change to make thing other things work, but that would impact mm-hmm. everyone else's scripts down the line. And they 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 mentioned i just noticed that they mentioned that one of their big problems they realized was that they introduced Ducat and Win too early in what they wanted to do and we had actually mentioned that saying like why yeah, were these two brought yeah. in so early and the entire point of their scenes in this episode was because they said we have to stall them until a couple episodes from now so yeah the, it feel it feels like that it i does. mean just it, watching it it feels like that's exactly what happened it's not a um because i would argue that the Ducat storyline feels totally arbitrary in a yeah. lot of ways. Like, it's just like his wins reaction to like him going blind is okay. It doesn't make a ton of sense because I think the power wraiths want him to do what he's doing. So why they would blind him doesn't make any sense to me. Mm. Win casting him out doesn't make a tremendous amount of sense to me because I don't know what her motivation is at this point anymore. So it feels really like just boot these characters down the line for a little bit and we'll catch up with them uh, and realizing a mistake. Show me out. I don't understand. But you need a lesson in humility. I'm going to see that you get it. By putting me out on the street? You'll find the Bajoran people are very kind. A blind beggar will elicit their sympathies, I'm certain. And with any luck, you'll earn enough to eat, and perhaps even enough for shelter each night. You're not, you're not serious. You may return when you've proven yourself worthy and your sight has been restored. Bodon, 
A dummy. Listen. A dummy. A dummy, listen to me, please! A dummy! What's funny, actually, is I think... uh, I don't obviously yet know what happens to Ducat, but this kind of felt to me like it would have been a good place to leave his character, albeit tweaked a little bit. If he had been blinded and cast to the down to the streets of Cardassia as a blind homeless Bajoran, I think that would have been a great end for his character. Right. To make him a, an outcast on Cardassia in the guise of the people that he and the rest of his people, you know, hate. Oh, so much. sure. You mean keeping him his uh, surgery, his plastic surgery. The same. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Keep him. Keep him as a Bajoran. He ends up on the streets of Cardassia, blind and having to live the rest of his life uh, being shit on by the people that he was trying to help. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's you know I I I liked a lot of stuff about this. I really liked all the uh, Martok and Gowron stuff. I thought that was good. So good. So good. Yeah. Uh, I thought the kira and damar stuff was great if i could if i could go back and reshape this episode i think i would do more kira and damar probably about the same uh klingon stuff cut the bashir and uh o'brien stuff like all of the bashir and o'brien stuff not just the odo stuff down to like maybe half yeah and probably lose the entire kai win stuff <laughs> <laughs> let's um so the, the episode is called when it rains it pours because this is to, to my opinion why i like this one the best is that i feel that this script is the best case of uh, cutting between a lot of storylines fairly effectively mm-hmm. i think they, sure. i think it feels pretty modern in what they're doing and that everyone kind of advances their storyline a little bit but they at the same time they do have a pretty good job i think of all of the changes in the conflict that people are coming upon, except for the Ducat scene, because that's arbitrary, but all the other ones feel like they belong to this universe. Like Gowron yes. making an appearance feels like it makes sense that he would be jealous at this point of Martok and he can't stand to see Martok getting all the glory that he wants. And so he, mm-hmm. he kickstarts this um, ill-conceived notion that the Klingons are going to win the war by themselves for everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Kira and Damar thing is really nice. And that pairs off of like, working with adversaries and that they haven't really forgiven each other. And it's got this context that it's not like DeMar just hasn't completely flipped and is now a good guy. There's still this weird underlying tension with the Cardassians. Odo getting sick, I think is a payoff that they do pretty well. That's, that's obviously like a, a retcon fix that they bring up at the 11th hour, but I guess it makes mm-hmm. sense to me. Like I don't yeah, have a lot of problems. Me. And so, yeah, good. I was just going to say, I think I don't, I don't think retconning is, uh, full stop a bad thing yeah you know if you can find a reason to do it that makes sense do it you know if it if it's going to help your story and i think in this way it actually does because that i don't think they had a plan for that virus right (laughs) yeah Yeah. the way that it keeps uh arbitrarily popping up from time to time and them clearly not really knowing what to do with it it seems this seems like the best thing to do with it yeah yeah, because they've they've been obviously not paying attention to no one. No character has asked the question of where it came from is the biggest thing to right, me. Like the, right. no, no character has wondered like why did they get sick? How did this happen? Not even the changelings are mentioning it or I, anything. I thought they were going to go a different way with it. That was that I was really hoping they weren't because it was going to be completely ridiculous. Is I thought that they were going to go back and it was going to turn out that it wasn't actually Odo. It was like a changeling pretending to be Odo or something like mm, that. Yeah, and I was just happy they didn't do that because that would have been really silly 
Which um, we can go through all the storylines fairly briefly because there's not too much of them each to go over. Do you want to start with the Klingons? Because I think the uh, the, sure. the Klingons are neat because I think I love Gowron. I love Gowron as a character. I think he's like a great performance mixed with some pretty interesting writing where he's a um, he's a political manipulator. But I also get the sense that he is a good Klingon at the same time. Like I think I I would kind of support Gowron. I think is the way that it comes mm-hmm. across to me. Like he's <laughs> he's likable. Even if he's irrational and does the wrong thing sometimes, I never get the sense that he's uh, like a Kai Win type character. He always just feels right. like a guy who would do the right thing, but has the wrong instincts about what the right thing to do is a lot of mm-hmm. the time. And mm-hmm. I like bringing him into this story. It's a good way to... Um, this one, the, the episode, just all these storylines focus on setting up conflict between everybody that isn't just being stuck in a room on a brain ship. Like there's some there's there's right, stakes to right. all the conflict that's coming up. But I think the Klingons are a good example of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's 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 uh it's giving you storyline that actually you haven't really gotten yet. They haven't I mean cuz Martok's kind of been around in the background a bit, but he hasn't really he's he's much more of a focal point to this story I think than Kai Win I mean is you know, like they just threw her in at the end, whereas Martok's been involved with this from, you know, day one. Yep. Um, so it's nice to to bring him in. And also, I think one of the reasons why this episode feels better than the other ones is that everyone is involved. Every one of the cast members, including the peripheral ones like Gar- uh, Garrick and Martok and, uh, and even Quark to an extent, are all involved in this as opposed to not being that way and just focusing on two people talking in a room. Everyone we mentioned in the last episode is not being involved is prominently involved in this one. Kira, Odo, Bashir, O'Brien, and Quark. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I I think the, uh, the, the, the Martok stuff is, is really nice because it's like you said, it's great, great use of Gowron. And it also is uh, characterizes Martok in a way that he doesn't really get to do very often. Um, He's not generally uh, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for subordinate to anybody. Uh, he's always sort of like the de facto capital K Klingon in the scene, and so having Mar- uh, Gowron come in and then have Martok have to deal with going going the way of of the Klingon, which is you know. Uh, following your leader and you know, battle and glory and all that kind of stuff. But he also knows that this is a terrible idea is a really nice um, use of him. And especially Worf too, where Worf doesn't really have a lot to say, but he's there and he's like meeting Martok's side eye every time yeah. Martok throws a side <laughs> eye at him, <laughs> which I think is a perfect use of Worf. Yeah. He's a uh, Dorn directed it. So there's very little Worf action in it, but you he think is- he directed in his, his Klingon makeup. I, I hope so, just great. so he can yeah. step in and sort of explain. He's <laughs> wearing like a tracksuit, but also his Klingon head. <laughs> his uh, makeup just has the eyepiece indent on it, and that's it. It looks like <laughs> his little black eyes. But yeah, Martok, um, I think it fleshes out Martok too, as Martok is kind of an unusual Klingon in that he is, um, he's not ultimately political, where a lot of the Klingons that Worf has met right. before, the higher-ups, are, are very obsessed with sort of gaining power in the Empire, and Martok isn't mm-hmm. that way. He's just kind of the good soldier who wants to do what's mm-hmm. right. And yeah. um, he, in some ways, is nice to pair with Worf because he's so... Um, he's a straight-ahead Klingon. Like, if you were to, to define them in a textbook way, Martok kind of fits that, where in Sins of the, uh, Sins of the Father and stuff like that, it, there was always this... 
you know, the weird thing about the Klingon honor culture is actually inhabited by all these like duplicitous politicians, yes. which doesn't make yeah. a lot of sense. But Martok yeah. is not that way. And it's it's refreshing and he's fun to have around. Yeah. It, you know, it's it's kind of like um, in James Bond movies, at least recently. Uh, he he's he I can't remember the last time he like went on a mission. I guess Casino Royale was probably the last time he just went on a mission, but he's always like retiring or, uh, you know, throwing it back in M's face or something like that. And it's like you can only do that so many times before you lose what the character is and what his base is supposed to be. And I think the same thing goes with with characters like Klingons, where you can only have so many uh, subversive Klingons before you kind of forget what the point of the Klingons are. Like right. it doesn't, if you keep saying, Oh, the Klingons are a race of, of honor and, and battle. But every Klingon you see is this duplicitous politician who has no honor whatsoever. It's like, well, you know, you can't subvert something if you don't know what the vert. Right. Is. <laughs> the original vert. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Because, the original vert. Yes. Because I, I think that they, it was interesting when they did it in TNG because Worf to that point had been really, Worf and the TOS Klingons had been your only look at that warrior culture. So mm-hmm. that subversion makes sense to be like, oh, all of the underhanded dealings you haven't been exposed to, but there actually is this kind of depth to the Klingon empire. Uh, but now yeah. now it just, now, now they kind of fall into the Starfleet Admiral thing where it's like, you know, how many of them are going to have evil underhanded intentions right, beyond right. what's going so it is good to get back to that sense of scale. And I like Martok and Worf as a, a duo. They're a good Klingon duo to work against Gowron, who I I also just, again, appreciate for not being a mustache-twirling evil Klingon. I, I understand yes, yeah. what he's trying to do, and he feels very Klingon-y in his approach. And it's just a bad idea that we'll see what the outcome of Gowron's bad idea turns out to be in the upcoming episodes. Yeah, I think that's great, because, I mean, you know having having people having characters that do things other than just other than for the reasons of just you know evil uh is great because that's how you make realistic relatable characters because it makes total sense that he would do something like this for the purposes of a he thinks it's the right decision even though it's not and b he thinks it's the right decision more for himself than he thinks it's the right decision for anybody else yep and it's not because he has this grand plan that he's going to, you know, break into the Starfleet archives and find the trigger for the bomb inside of Kronos or anything. Um, and, you know, use that to blow up his own planet or something <laughs> evil like that. But uh, he he does it for relatable reasons that they don't and they don't throw it in your face either. They just have him do it. And your knowledge of of Gowron up to this point it, it informs his decision. Yeah, he's doing it so that when he goes back home his life is improved. His Yeah. He, he's doing he's doing it for himself, but he's he at the same time is doing it for because he thinks this is the right Klingon thing to do and it kind of is, I suppose. If the Klingons are never ones to uh you know, it's maybe you could consider it a little bit surprising or it's the uh, the Klingons being brought into the Federation fold where Martok is actually fairly conservative for a Klingon mm-hmm. general, uh, which is, you know, nice. I think he maybe even started off a little bit more hot-headed than he actually turned out to be, but they had to mellow him out a little bit. Uh, yeah, I do. It's, I, I like him. It's like uh, a friend of mine a couple years ago, uh, she and her boyfriend bought a house and the floors needed to be redone. And so her boyfriend's dad just 
decided to tell him that he was going to redo do the floors himself. And the, the everybody else the, knew the, that the father, was the, the going. boyfriend's father was yep. going to redo the floors himself. And everybody else knew that that was not a, the right idea. Um, and it, it's, that's the kind of thing that it reminds me of where it's someone who's, he's stepping in thinking he's doing the right thing, but everybody else knows that he's not, but you kind of don't have the cachet to like tell him yeah. it's not the right idea. <laughs> right. Yeah. As Gowron says, did I ask for your opinion in this episode? Mm. Um, I think, that, what storyline do you want to go to after that? Kira, Damar, you've got Sick Odo, you've got, well, we talked about Dukat. There's nothing to talk about with Dukat. So you either have Kira and uh, Damar, or you've got Sick Odo. Sick, Sick Odo, <laughs> Sick Odo's interesting to me because they, I I guess the, uh, the, the how casual it is, is, is was kind of what was off-putting to me, because there's so much of it ends up being uh o'brien and bashir talking about relationship stuff that is all happening off screen (laughs) yeah and also esri is really bad at this because she comes in and and opens the i love you conversation with i slept with wharf (laughs) 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 it's not the best way to go about it but you know i understand i understand that scene because you know you get the the nice beat beat where she's trying to tell him but he's just seeing the stuff on the screen and all that kind of stuff yeah um Yeah, I I don't know. I it, uh I just it just felt like it was it, it it they dragged it out a little bit too much. I think they probably could have condensed it a little. Yeah. Um but I think the where they end up is great, I think. Yeah, I I um I watched I had a I had it on in the background as I was watching it again. The scene that really sticks out to me is Bashir's sort of endless talking to Starfleet to really hammer home yeah. the point that they're just kind of trying to stonewall him from figuring out what's going Starfleet, on. Starfleet Starfleet is apparently like calling a cable company. Yeah, so you you keep getting patched through to higher ups and everything until finally they ask you a questionnaire about how your customer service was at the end of it. But um, uh, we I, actually had <laughs> we actually had. Sorry, I don't mean to to derail it, but it reminded me. Uh, we have we, you know we live in a condo, so every every time somebody moves in, they change cable providers. So outside the house, we have like a billion cable wires, and the guy uh, who was doing work in the house said, um, "You should have somebody come down." And get rid of all these old wires because they're you know they're falling away from the house and it's just a, a rat's nest out there. And uh, so we were like, who who's going to do that? He's like, well, if you just call your cable company, they'll come out and they'll get rid of the wires. And we're like, all right, I don't think that's how that works, but sure. Uh, so my girlfriend called the cable company and was on the phone with them for I don't know an hour and a half doing exactly the same thing that Bashir was doing, where it was you talk to someone, tell them what's going on, they put you on hold. And they send you to somebody else who puts you on hold again. And after an hour and a half, you talk to someone who goes, oh, yeah, those aren't our wires. We can't do anything. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those. Um, It seems like it would be a common enough question, but no one at the company is aware of how to handle the thing properly. Right. So it just keeps right. getting punted around. Yeah. They, um, <laughs> no, it's, I think the homeowner owns everything on the house. Right. I think that's the way it works or the, the condo. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know who. Uh, well, that's for that's for a different podcast. When we start our homeowners podcast, we <laughs> when we've got a uh, what's that guy's name? Bob Bob Vila. Bob Vila. When Bob Vila comes on the podcast to talk about this little house or this old house, um, sick, um, sick Odo and Bashir. I, I think that actually, I, I is there a, a plot problem there too? Where Bashir is talking to Starfleet Medical, 
But at the end, it's revealed that uh, Section 31 is the one that's controlling all of this. Mm-hmm. So I, I was a little bit confused about whether or not Starfleet Medical is actually blocking it. I prefer it if it's Starfleet Medical that's trying to do uh, the blocking for him. But at the same point, it's one of those weird plot lines where Bashir has that long conversation. And then O'Brien's just like, how about you go ask Cisco for his code? And off screen, Cisco yeah. gives it to him and they get the answer. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the other thing I was thinking. It was like, they just cut back and he's like, oh, it's a good thing that he had the clearance we needed to get over that plot problem. It's like, <laughs> he didn't okay. ask about it. There's no scene where Bashir has to inform Cisco that Odo is terminally ill with this disease or anything like that. Yeah, yeah Bashir just goes into Cisco's kitchen and gets the clearance code off of the magnet on his fridge. Yeah, yeah. I, I like where it ends up, too. I like the sort of timeline trickery that they do with it, which is to uh, reveal that Starfleet had actually infected Odo. They infected him back in the Homefront Paradise Lost two-parter when he goes to Earth that time. Um, mm-hmm. And then after that, he obviously spread it to the other changelings when he linked with the female shapeshifter. He obviously gave it to um, the other shapeshifter he met this season, the guy who came mm-hmm. uh, at this point. Uh, uh, so I guess... I, as I was watching it, I was thinking, oh, that's funny that Odo got a changeling STD, but apparently he was the carrier for the STD. Yeah, he's typhoid and Mary. all the other guys have it, yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's... Um, you know... I, oh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I, I don't think they give a reason as to why he doesn't get sick, but I guess he's just supposed to be a carrier who was, you know, for plot device reasons, was able mm-hmm. to not get sick for a little bit of time. Yeah, it is kind of weird that they play it that way and then also have him be sick. At, at the end of this episode. like I mean, I, I, I guess you can hand wave it and say it's, uh, I don't know, time release or some shit. Yeah. Or, uh, oh, he was, uh, it was after a certain point, uh, it took over his system, but it was there, you know, in a small enough dose that it wasn't going to hurt him for three and a half years, yeah. I guess. I, w- I would make the, um, if I had to fix it, I would say it has something to do with the linking of the changelings. And because he does not link very often. It, sure. it kept it slow or something like that, but it's it's it one is, of those things. It's it just is also, a genetically manipulated disease that works as a plot device. Yeah, it is also a little suspect that uh, as soon as he finds out he has it, he starts he developing out. symptoms. <laughs> like he's he's a he's a hypochondriac that went on to Changeling WebMD, and now he thinks he has cancer. Well, <laughs> Doctor Bashir's diagnosis of Changeling eczema was incorrect, and this is <laughs> this is something much more serious. It's. It's one of those things. It's like when once you get the diagnosis, you realize your uh, your sneezing that you've been doing wasn't just normal allergy sneezing or something like that. You're like, oh, I guess that's mm. what the the relationship was there. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, I think I, it's good. Yeah, I think I think the 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 thing with the off screen Cisco stuff is part of my problem with it, where they hit a wall. Then they cut away and they come back and they've gotten through that wall. So it doesn't make it feel like what's happening is very important. Yeah. Um, Whereas if they hit that wall and then had a scene where Bashir goes to Cisco and they have a talk about this clearance code and, you know, why it's suspicious that this is happening and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. Um, And then he gives him the the clearance code. I think that would have been a little bit more added a little bit more intrigue to it. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of it just seeming like he needs Cisco's Wi-Fi password, with 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 twenty twenty hindsight, as we're we are apt to do here, I would have um, I would have played it more of a Bashir figures out a mystery rather than he talks to Starfleet about things like this. Like if if mm-hmm. he even if it was just him looking at screens, but he manages to put together what the timeline was or something like that, I would prefer that because. Honestly, the like the biggest problem for me with this talking to Starfleet Medical is that I don't think any of the actors he talks to are good. <laughs> so it's it's like he's ta- he's calling these like dorky sort of 
um, it looks like fans were on set that day and they got cast in this role kind of position. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't like any of those scenes. And I, I don't think Alexander Siddig at this point in his career is particularly good, good when he gets angry and starts demanding things. He, I don't think he, I don't think he uh, conveys it very well. I don't know how effective of an actor he is at doing that. Yeah. He seems kind of like an angry kid. Yeah. He starts talking yeah. like this and I demand to talk to him. And it's like, I, I don't, I don't buy it, buddy. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that would have, I think that would have helped too, if they if they had just upped the intrigue, whether it's via mystery or something a little bit earlier. So that those cutbacks seem a little bit more, um, uh, consequential and, and, uh, engaging than just sort of, yeah, listening him to listening him be on hold. And then, you know, they, they pay it off at the end, which is cool. But, uh, even if you, um, and, and, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, and and to go back to your point about the, about who's blocking it, I th- I, I assumed it was Starfleet Medical is blocking it, but the direct the directive to block it is coming from higher up. So it's not Section Thirty One who's actively doing it, but it's like the admirals who are in the know aware are, that Section Thirty One yes, has done this yeah. and they're blocking. Like it. medical doesn't know that Section Thirty One is doing this, but the people who are informing medical do. Gotcha. That makes that that makes sense to me. I was um. I was just, I don't know how it would work, but I was just thinking now, what, what if Bashir didn't tell Odo about his diagnosis in this one? So the plot developments where Odo notices him getting sick and Bashir di- discovering that Odo has a sickness are not connected to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I think you could, you know, like Odo noticing his hand or something before Bashir makes his first realization that there's a disease or something like that. You can kind of like build off of uh, Odo realizing what's going on and then Bashir uh, voicing for the audience what he is discovering is going on with Odo or something. Eh, like I don't know. I feel like once you show it, it kind of takes the the wind out of the reveal for the Bashir end of it. Yep. Um, I don't know if I would have shown it at all in this episode. I might have played Odo as a little bit more uh, not believing it or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, I guess... It just it just seems a little convenient for him to, to develop symptoms immediately, um, so I guess that's where the disconnect is. Yeah, uh, I think mo- it's mostly. Know. I think it's a it's it is really just kind of it's a narrative problem where I think the reveal and everything makes sense. It just feels like it, it's the timing of it is such that they had to put it in now. Like this is when it has to happen, right. so this is when right. it all kicks in. You you see the strings being pulled to enable that storyline, even if I think that the storyline perfectly makes sense with what they would do it's you know it, going back like it's one of those things like they probably the producers and writers probably regret not introducing that the idea of what's going on with odo a little bit earlier to at least have it linger in the background that something's up with him and then you mm-hmm. reveal the final thing it would be tough because they've already done a a good job of showing the other founders getting sick so you know what the symptoms are they start to rot right. basically so yeah it's, it's hard to hide it I was actually just thinking it might have been interesting if they had, since he was uh, uh, patient zero, if the if it affected him differently, you know. So it it was I don't know if it, I don't know if it would be more severe or something something that just gave it a little bit more oomph and and uh, uh, mystery to it, other than just him you know starting to flake, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. if. Uh, <clears throat> Like, if it had, you know, maybe at the beginning, 
when he's giving him his uh also Bashir's bedside manner is terrible when he's like, I need some goo. And he's like, What? I like that they played <laughs> it like, like you the know, pee in this cup goo. scene though, and he's like, I yeah. need a little bit more than what you've given me, and as yeah. they awkwardly make eye contact. Yeah, but if they had done something in that scene where there was something weird and off about the way that he, you know, gooped into that cup, uh and then, you know, maybe he st- instead of flaking off, he has trouble reconstituting himself or something. I don't know. Yeah. Just some something a little bit different and a little bit more intense to put some more stakes to it. Because, I mean, we don't even really know what the lifetime of this virus is, right? Right. They've, uh, the, the founders have been sick for a while. The female changeling has been yeah. sick for a few episodes or seasons even at this point. Yeah. And she just looks like if you, you know, dump some water on her and just hydrate her a little bit, she'll be fine. <laughs> Rub those, smooth those rough patches out to put some, uh, put some concealant into, what's that stuff called? What do women foundation put a little bit of foundation yeah. on? You, they need the stuff from uh, the Clayface episode of Batman the Animated Series. That's right. Where they just putty himself down. Excellent self promotion. Um, <laughs> Listen to our coverage of Batman the Animated <laughs> Series on the Bat Ass Podcast. The uh, the thing about Odo putting a little bit of him in the cup is, I guess that it kind of flies in the face of what the Changelings had said that they were, where. Uh, apparently Odo's like soul or consciousness or whatever you want to call it resides somewhere in the main part of him. And it's not, mm-hmm. you, you, you don't just, Odo can't split into two people, I guess, is the takeaway mm-hmm. from that, mm-hmm. which would be a real changeling advantage. I think if they could, but, but based on what the changelings describe themselves as is that we are all one. It seems like they just kind of art, artificially split themselves, but, uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's irrelevant. It's whatever it is. Um, yeah, we'll wrap it with Kira and Damar. um, I like the storyline. I, f- I think it feels slightly awkward for some reason. I'm not really sure why. Uh, I think the writing about when Kira is explaining what terrorists have to do to survive feels a little bit clunky, but at the same time, mm-hmm. I like it and I think it works. And Damar's personality continues to impress me as he seems like the perfect character and perfect construction to straddle the line between those two things like they've built him up to be rational enough where he accepts what he has to do at the same time he still feels cardassian and not a betrayal to how the rest of them act he just seems like he sees the bigger picture yeah and he's i like that they're writing him different than ducat in the situation because i think in this situation ducat would would actively be um even though he was the one who was subordinate to kira at at this point, I think Ducat would would revel in the uh, fact that he's forcing Kira to work with him. Yeah, so he would take more pleasure out of that, I think, and he would probably be more along. He the stuff that uh, that the other guy there says to Odo, I think, is stuff Ducat would say to Odo, and he would like take great joy in the fact that he was saying this to Odo <laughs> in front of Kira. Um, whereas Demar is is very much played as like, yeah, no. We were on the opposite side of the battlefield before, and now we are not, and I'm fine with that. Yeah. We have to, we have to do what we have to do. Yeah. Yeah, they're, um, I, I just, I, I like the, the tension there not completely going away, where it's still very stressful for these two groups to work together, is the whole key to that storyline, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, they, just, they did a good job of not completely flipping the Cardassians to just be, like, good guys at this point. Uh, so right. they didn't do what they did with the Breen, which is just the Breen are now just bad guys who are on that side. The Cardassians are still what they've always been. They're just choosing to play for the, differ- the other side. Right. And I think that makes perfect sense. And I think that's the way to do it, too. Because, you know, I think you have—if you, you've if your bad guys have to work with your good guys— 
you only need one bad guy in charge to make to facilitate that to happen and the rest of them can still be dickheads yeah um so it's it's nice that they 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 still do that the the one thing i was surprised that they didn't do actually was add more uh bajorans to the situation like have her take down like a team or something Mm -hmm. because then you'd have the two teams who are at uh odds with each other i'm not saying that they should have done that i'm just surprised that they didn't because it feels like something that a show like this would do yeah yeah or send a whole uh, a whole squadron of uh remaining resistance fighters or something like that because they obviously need to teach a lot of cardassians what's going on and kira lecturing at the front of the hall with a powerpoint from odo is not particularly selling it yeah i'm surprised i'm surprised there wasn't a scene where she teaches them basic hand-to-hand combat (laughs) stabbing with a spear yeah (laughs) ha ha now do that and you'll be fine no i you know what i you know what i actually might have done with that stuff to make it a little bit more interesting is i would have sent not more bajorans but more starfleet guys down and have the Cardassians react differently to the other Starfleet guys than they do to Kira. Yeah. Like, essentially not show her any respect, whereas the other guys, they're like, okay, you're Starfleet guys. You know, And I know that's why they give her the suit, but still. That's I think why they, that they, they been... mention it with the uh, the replicator. When they bring the replicators, the response from the Cardassians is, uh, give our thanks to the Federation. They don't say thanks to you. So Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So I think that would have been kind of fun if to to have her... At a bit more of a disadvantage with them, um, and even if you have, I mean, in that sense, you could even have Damar when talking to Kira and like two other Starfleet guys never look at Kira or like never address, Kira, you know, that yep. kind of thing. Yep, uh, that could, that would have been kind of fun. But uh, you know, I still I still love the concept. I think it makes perfect sense. And in a perfect world, it would have been Kira and odo and wharf and that would put them in direct line with ducat coming up to the end but i don't think that's going to happen there was an interesting what was it here do 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 uh just random facts about the behind the scenes originally the plot was to have damar work as a double agent with wayun thought gore and the female changeling all believing that he still worked for the dominion However, they realized that that would mean that none of the regulars would ever directly interact with Damar, so they scrapped mm-hmm. that idea, and they had him sort of break away early. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, here it is. The decision to bring regulars into the Cardassian Rebellion plot had a knock-on effect. The logical choice of characters to send was Kira and Garrick. However, uh, the next script for Extreme Measures was already being worked on. At that time, it involved Kira and Odo hunting for the cure to his sickness. It was suggested that Kira could go to Cardassia, and Odo and Bashir try to track down a cure— but Ira Bear felt strongly that he didn't want to split up Odo and Kira at the final arc, so it was decided to use O'Brien and Bashir to hunt for the cure, send Kira, Garrick, and Odo to Cardassia. I think that, that makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah. Yeah, there's no... I don't see any problem with any of those changes. Yeah, I, I, don't, think you, I don't think you gain anything by sending Kira on a, you know... Find the cure uh, thing as, yeah, the, as she yeah, holds Odo as he yeah, disintegrates. When, yeah, when you've got... When you've got uh, Cardassian rebels involved and all this other stuff it taking i think it would have been a a big disservice to her character to send her on a uh a magic potion hunt you yeah. know at the at the at the culmination of of everything that they've done in this series involving the cardassians and rebellions and all this other kind of stuff my um my last kind of point about this before we go to the break is that i think that 
what's funny about them trying to wrap up this series in this 10 episode arc when 10 episodes feels like quite a bit when you compare it to everything they've done before it still in some ways feels rushed right like i think that they mentioned it in this episode that i was even reminded of which is that damar killed zayal earlier Mm. in the episodes however garrick and kira have a lot to do with zayal they were very very attached to her however neither of them mentions it to damar when they meet him again Mm. which is um i think it's just a product of so much going on and there's so much information that you can't fit it into a a script that would realistically represent what garrick would have to say to damar at that point because he was kind of in love with zayal if i'm remembering things appropriately or like he treated her like a daughter at some in some ways more than ducat did Mm -hmm. and it's weird for no conversation to be i guess you could argue that uh, garrick is the good cardassian spy who's able to like compartmentalize that or something but at the same time i feel like you're missing a scene where they talk to him about that and damar uses that as some kind of rationalization for his switch or something yeah i you know it's one of those things where where when do you really bring that up in this episode like i feel like that's something that they could do eventually yeah further down the line yeah, but I don't think it should be out of mind for those characters. Like, I think, does Kira's attitude, should Kira's attitude towards Damar be informed by that? Probably, yeah. Like, should, so should that make her a lot more standoffish towards him? Probably, yeah. And uh, uh, same with Garrick, is, is Garrick should probably, you know, you can have, sure, he can compartmentalize it if you want, but, you know, that's that's another one where it's like, if they keep that one in their back pocket and then have Garrick in the in the uh uh the fog of war so to speak slip stand uh sneak up behind damar and just slip a knife through his ribs or yeah. something i'd be happy i'd be happy with that yeah yeah all right let's uh let's wrap it up we'll play an audio clip me and Clay will come back and read some patron thoughts and give our final thoughts about when it rains no don't you see that's exactly what the enemy is expecting the time to act is now what are you proposing chancellor we're going on the offensive Starting tomorrow, I'm sending sorties deep into enemy territory to strike at the very heart of the Dominion. But we are barely holding the line as it is. We need every ship we have to defend the border. What's wrong with you two? Don't you understand? We must seize the day. We are outnumbered 20 to 1. What of it? The element of surprise will be on our side. Chancellor, in my opinion... Did I ask your opinion? I hope you enjoyed the content today. If you did, you can support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file. It's the best way to support us financially. That is other than listening a couple dollars a month, you get extra stuff, extra podcasts, extra polls to vote on what we talk about on the Patreon podcast and things like that. And as always, our, uh, captain tier supporters get a shout out. Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Captain Court, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Michaels, Christian Pouch, Darth Moss, David Beardmore, David K, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, HH28, Yarpy, Joint Mango, Jordan Cooper, Kevin Reyes, Kyle Barrett, Matt, Cor- Kyle Barrett, Matt Courier, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Elledge, Samuel Custer, Grim Santo, Sean, Tark Latif, Tom Hiles, Vault 13 Hero, and Will Yates. Thank you very much, guys. an Oscars acceptance speech? I know. The, the, they're playing the music. It's time to go. It's time for me to get out of here. Uh, that's it. If you're a patron, you can leave your comments. Alistair about- and Simon, if you're watching, it's past your bedtime. Go to bed, <laughs> sweeties. <laughs> I would um I'd, I'd I would hope I'd come up with something better than that to say to the say to them. There was a um <laughs> there was a basketball player named Jeff Hornacek who used to 
uh, he would rub his face, like sort of run his hand on the side of his face downwards. And people asked him why he did it. And he said that it was his way of waving to his kids every time he was at the oh. free throw line without yeah. having to say anything to them. He just sort of made it like a family thing that they knew about. It's, it's kind of neat. That's a nice way to go about things like that. It's like the, uh, is it Carol Burnett, I think, had the ear tug thing she would do? Oh, really? Just to her, say hi yeah. to, yeah. At the end of her show, at the closing, she would also pull, always pull on her earlobe. That was, uh, it was a, uh, a hello to her mother or grandmother yeah. or something like that. Yep. It was Carol Burnett. I like stuff like that. Um, Let's read the patron comments. If you're a patron and you leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes, we read them. Point extra G, when it rains. Finally, we get Kira in a Starfleet uniform. It's about time. We get the return of old crazy eyes himself, and we all love us some Gowron. Section 31, making the changeling virus and infecting Odo. Well, that's perfectly Section 31. But we know this is going to come to a head at some point. It's uh, If the last we ever see of Dukats is him being thrown out as a blind Bajoran beggar, I think I'd be okay. Interesting. You made the same point uh, as you did mm. there, Clay. I hadn't even considered that, but I think that is kind of an appropriate ending for him, I guess. Um, Zimnuclear Wessel says, The Dukat win scenes aren't my favorite part of the final chapter, but I'm delighted here by the, uh, by the goal's no good, very bad day, relegated <laughs> to the blind junior partner of his own insane evil conspiracy. And Wynne may no longer follow the prophets, but she still clearly enjoys beating Bejor's biggest enemy. Um, I also noticed that uh, last episode you were questioning whether or not she intended to kill that dude. I yeah. can't remember his name. Yeah, the servant. And in this, one, in this one, she mentions that she did it on purpose. Okay, yeah. She says something like, I had to kill him because X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I, I always thought that. I think it's just filmed. But I... I, I connected yeah. it to remember we complained about her terrible acting when she was pounding on ducat's chest it was like yes. that doesn't look believable yeah. she the way she attacks that guy just looks like she trips over herself and stab and like falls into him and stabs him yeah, yeah her performance is weirdly indecisive if that's a if that's a word i can use that mm. makes sense physically you mean where, or just like in general just just in general where it's like i can't really track where she is emotionally from scene to scene, even the ones where she's supposed to be emotional. Yeah. She's inconsistent, I think, would be another way yeah. to describe it. Yeah. Christian Pouch says, The Klingons have something interesting to do with Martok trying to save the day with real Klingon cunning and warrior prowess, while Gowron tries to sabotage him using stereotypically Klingon blind aggression. Kira, Garrick, and Odo heading off to Cardassia is a great idea, giving them all something to do and other characters to interact with and react to. Speaking of great ideas, Kira in the gray Starfleet uniform is the best she's ever looked. I think there's a patron comment that talks about this further on, so I'm going to wait until that happens to bring it up. Uh, Matt Ross, you can feel the build-up to the conclusion being pushed here. Kai Wynn gives in 100% to her desire for power, and there can only be one, there can only be one her. The casual way which she waves away the idea of the deaths of her fellow Bajorans just adds to her cold-heartedness as well as kicking Dukat out to beg on the streets. That's some security system in print. Bashir's naivete comes out again. Really no surprise there was a plot to kill the founders. Not so outrageous, it's a fight to the death. O'Brien sure seems to have a lot of free time to be hanging out with Bashir. Bashir and Esri, I guess, is a bookmark for later, but the way Bashir invites in Esri makes me think she's pregnant, but we quickly go to a sitcom of misunderstandings. A return of crazy-eyes Gowron and his political machinations quite obviously sets up a conflict which we already know where it leads. Crazy leader versus rational, reluctant leader in Star Trek. G, who's going to win? I always wonder, with all the palm cutting with the Klingons, how calloused are their hands? And blood in the wine seems unsanitary. The best portion <laughs> is the Damar plot, with Damar acting as a pragmatic bridge builder between former enemies. The founders should lose if they don't notice a Federation runabout approaching their main base. Um, I would also like to say that the ghost emoji 
continues to be a bad magic book mm-hmm. because the magic book trope uh, generally is where you go for it's it's fairly uh, solid in terms of what it contains and what it's used for. Uh, and I feel like the ghost emoji is very much just a uh, we need it to do something plot device yes. where it's not it doesn't it doesn't she's been like staring at pay, it's like <laughs> she, watching her in these scenes is like watching a play yeah like a bad play where the so the business that she keeps doing is going and sitting down and just like looking at the book yeah in a way that no one in real life ever does like if you have have you do you ever have a conversation with someone and then like just walk over to your computer and blankly stare at the screen while they're talking at you <laughs> i i i mean i hope i don't do that i she, might i don't she's know she's looking but. at it the way that they uh that the main character says in office space where he just stares at the screen and people think that he's working yes <laughs> yeah exactly it's like it's like i you don't bother me i'm 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 working can't you see i'm looking at these pages yeah but you know what i mean it's like she's not getting anything from the book yet but the book keeps doing stuff to facilitate things they need to have done yep so yep. no ducat's you know, blindness makes zero sense to yeah, me yeah and then he, the, ducat's blindness has zero makes zero sense and then to have her come out and say you fool only I'm supposed to read this book. It's like that. What you've never established that, right? That's just something that you're putting in here because you need to get Ducat out of the way. So, as far as magic books goes, the ghost emoji is not my favorite. Will Yates says it's kind of crazy that even when the Romulans must completely rely on others for their own survival, they're still dicks about it. This episode really sets up a lot of interesting story mechanics for the end of the series. Gowron's insecurity rings true to life, and it expands the universe very well. I think that given what Kira says about the food, this episode proves that replicated stuff does taste like nutritious styrofoam. Finally, Wynn's cold-blooded vengeance and authoritarian disregard for life finally gives Fletcher something to work with, albeit very subtly. And... Yarpy says, Things are starting to roll on, probably to Clay and Wes's liking. Gowron's back. I've been missing that crazy guy at Klingon. We need more Klingons and Romulans. Damar's story keeps going forward. There's a nice irony sending Kira to teach Cardassians about being terrorists. I mean, resistance fighters. Section 31 returns as well, and Bashir gets something to do as well for a change. More power wraith crap, and this is getting very tiresome. I think someone like Piper Lowry might have been a better actress for Kai Wynn's role. She's more lively than Louise Fletcher, if I remember correctly. The pacing is much better in this episode than it was previously. Maybe it took the writers a few episodes to get into the groove of writing the serialized story. Wes said previously that the arc would have been done differently nowadays, but I think they would have done it with too much overblown. This is super serious, gritty, grimdark stuff like many modern TV shows are, which I tend to dislike. Babylon 5 plans can play the spot the guest star as one of the guest stars had a recurring role in Babylon 5. Um, I forgot to mention the uh, he brought up the Romulans, and I thought the having the Romulan guy there was actually a nice return as well because for, for a big big three Star Trek race who's, you know, very seriously involved in this uh, war. They've been absent for the past few episodes. Yeah. I think, after, after right? the Well, after the um, <clears throat> Romulan plots with Section 31, they haven't been really doing yeah. anything. Um, and they, I thought that they used them pretty well, where, like, they remind you that the Romulans are there, and then the guy makes some crack against the Klingons, like, totally dryly, but it was just a really good, like, passive-aggressive shot at the Klingons. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, that's nice. I like I liked that the Romulans are here. All those scenes, they've had a couple scenes of that where I like the fact that the species have tension with each other. It's a, it's yes, a, very, it's yeah. a very effective world-building thing, that they're not all on the same page and that their different cultures do not interact with each other very well. Um, mm-hmm. 
generally it's the Romulans and the Klingons hating each other while the humans try to act as peacekeepers between the two of them is the the usual setup for it. But it is it is nice and effective, and I think it's it thematically matches how the Dominion takes complete control of things while the freedom of the Alpha Quadrant results in this kind of bickering between people. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's just mm-hmm. a nice payoff against each other. Yeah, I think so too. Kyle Barrett says, when it rains, the second act of the arc begins and gets off to a good start. All the storylines are intriguing other than the Wynn and Ducat scenes with the latter blinding, latter blinded seemingly as a way to stall the plot. It's quite terrible and reminiscent of that equally unnecessary blind Arya subplot in Game of Thrones. Although I did find Marco Lima's blind acting to, acting to be unintentionally hilarious, it does feel like there's one too many storylines in the episode, and so none of them progress as quite as much as I'd like, but I still enjoy what we get from them. Kira looks great in a Starfleet uniform, continuing trend through all Trek shows of female characters who should have worn the uniform for longer, from Troy, Seven, and especially to Paul and Enterprise. I enjoy the shift in focus to Bashir, and my favorite part of the episode may just be seeing O'Brien lounging around on one of the bio beds in front of Bashir, Oh, the games of doctors and nurses they must get up to. <laughs> Four out of five. I uh, I I do kind of wish Kira getting the uniform was a bit more of a big deal. Yeah. Um, I feel like they did the same thing with Troy, where, well, I guess it, it, it shouldn't have been a big deal for Troy, because she's just part of the crew. <laughs> um, she, is, she is a Starfleet officer or whatever. Right, yeah, she her. could take off her flowery lingerie or whatever she's wearing and get suited up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not, yeah. It's not like they needed to have all the men in the ship, you know, cry because her cleavage was gone or something. Right. Yeah. Um, the uh, with this one though, it feels like Kira getting a Starfleet commission. Not, not that it's something that she's ever really wanted. Like I don't ever got the, I never got the sense that Kira, you know, was the kind of person who, oh, just wish she could be part of Starfleet and hopefully one day she'll be a Starfleet officer or something like that. Um, but I think it, it, it is a big deal for her character to go from, uh, terrorist, you know, uh, suppressed terrorist through, uh, Colonel on the the space station now into whatever her rank is in Starfleet. If she has a rank, I don't know if she even does, but yeah, I'm not, I'm I'm actually unsure of what it is, whether it's like a temporary commission or something like that. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I'd agree with you. It seems like something that, um, would be more thematic in terms of like, I kind of imagine it in like a modern series is it's a montage of her getting this, uh, uniform and everything as something is changing on Bajor. Like her getting the uniform is a yeah. reflection of Bajor changing in a lot of ways. And I, I guess you could play it as if they split off Kai Wynn and made it more explicit that Kai Wynn was doing her own thing, which is not the future of Bajor. It makes mm-hmm. more sense to me, but I don't, I don't think they play Kira and Wynn as adversaries enough where I feel like they're kind of natural enemies and they, they have tension when they deal with each other, but they didn't line them up as t- direct foils to each other in a way that I think would have worked later on down the line. Yeah. I, I, I almost, you know, I think what I might've done is instead of making the act of giving her the, the uniform that big of a deal, I probably would have had that scene and then afterwards had a scene with Odo and Kira or even Kira and Cisco where Kira talks about how, she she feels conflicted about wearing the Starfleet uniform because she is someone who has Bajor's uh, uh, best intention. Yeah, she's best, she's, for, yeah, she's a Bajor. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. a Bajor. She's not of Starfleet, and the fact that Bajor is not part of Starfleet, they're still not part of Starfleet, right? Right. Yep. 
Yeah. And like a little bit sort of like have her reflect on what this means to her a little bit. Um, I think that would have been a nice scene to have. Are we um are we too early that 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 would have been a nice scene. Are we too early to start having final thesis statements from characters? That feels like Kira's final thesis statement. You know what I mean? Um Right. Yeah. I don't I I would say you're not too early. I I think that you could probably start wrapping up some stories at this point. And oh, I, I think like, so. Yeah, I think that's an appropriate place I to I mean, end they it. had they had Cisco get married in the first episode of the arc. Right. Yeah. You know? Yep. Which thank Thank God there's no pepper-related dialogue in this episode. <laughs> Cisco saying he's like, you got to leave the frozen frosting on top of the toaster oven to keep the thing moist, and then you get the strudel out and you liquid. It's good. Was, was Cassidy burning his peppers a direct retaliation to him adding more pepper to the gumbo the previous <laughs> oh, that's, episode? That's, that's right. Like, is that the kind of level of passive-aggressive infighting that they're doing right now he's as a newly married couple? Cackling like a madman as he's pouring, like, nuclear 51 hot sauce yeah. into her uh, her fajitas or whatever he's Honestly, making. It's not, it's, not anything to, it's not anything to scoff at because I have, I have been in the situation where my girlfriend has been actively mad at me. Because I put too many jalapenos in the chili. Yeah. Because she does not like hot stuff. I do. And this one time I was making chili and I usually use the stuff out of a, a jar, the, like the pickled ones. But yeah, this it kills it I a used, little bit when it's canned yeah, like that. This time I used fresh ones and I used too many and <laughs> she was not happy. <laughs> because it was one of those situations. It was like a, a perfect, perfect storm of situations where it was like she had been at work for like 13 hours or something. And we, and we, uh, she got home and the, I hadn't, it was like later than we usually eat. And so I hadn't even been done making stuff yet. So it was even later. So she was already mad about that. And then the food ended up being like almost inedible for her. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what the, so uh, she was, she was not pleased and she was, and she was like, you, you got to stop doing this. And I was like, to be fair, it's, I've only done this once. Yeah. And I will try not to do this again. <laughs> well, then then you you spend the rest of the time looking at the chili in the fridge going like, I, I, can I do this again? And then you're like, no, I, I can't. I can't eat that again. I, uh, the only, um, the most uh, constant form of racism that I experience as a white person is okay, when... Well, continue. Is, is when, is when um, Indian curry places constantly feel like they need to protect me from the spiciness that yes, they're giving. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I, that's not just a white person thing. That's an American thing. Because I, uh, my mom has a friend who is uh, African-American who lived in Thailand for a while. And uh, uh, they went out to, to, to lunch or something at this Thai place. And she ordered this, uh, uh, this Thai dish. And she's like, I want it spicy. And the guy was like, okay. And she's like, no. I want it the way you make it at your house. Yeah. And he was like, what? And he's, she's like, yes. She's like, are you sure? And it's like, yes. So it's, I think it's just an American thing. No, I mean, every time I order, I'm like, I'll have the, uh, you know, I'll have the curry. They're like, would you like mild or hot? I go, hot. They go, mm-hmm. are you sure? It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's to okay. To be fair, though, I think, I, I think people protecting other people from spices is an important not, part of their customer service sort of i do i think that it is because i think i i feel the other way sometimes where if there's something on the menu that says it's hot and i say how hot is hot and they're like it's pretty hot and then i get that and it's not hot at no, all th- that's the that's frequently what happens to me with the indian curry yeah. it's like i'm like this yeah. didn't deserve a warning i i think it's all about branding i wouldn't say mild i would say normal 
or extra spicy or something like that. Really, right, really right. differentiate the fact there because I get a lot of when I order the hot curry, it comes back and I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be bad. And then I'm like, ah, that's that's fine. Like this is a normal yeah. spiciness that I'd expect. Yeah. Yeah, spice spiciness of food is a very interesting topic because I think you can bring it up with anyone and they'll give you a different answer. Yeah, yeah. All right, final comment here. Uh, when it rains from Captain Quark, Kai Wynn's continued commitment to the pirates is ridiculous. Is ridiculous given that she knows Ducat's true identity. Ducat's blinded by the literature is similarly ridiculous, uh, ludicrous. I would say that his fate as a blind beggar on Bajor is a fitting end for him, but you know this won't be the last time this storyline rears its ugly head. Kira, Odo, and Garrick joining Damar's resistance as advisors is a nice development for these characters. I like the scene in which Kira explains that Damar's group must attack other Cardassians if they hope to be successful. I also like the twist that Section 31 is behind the Founder's illness. I'm not sure why Odo doesn't start experiencing symptoms until Bashir tells him about it. Is the disease part psychogenic? Overall, this mm. is probably my favorite episode of the final arc so far, as it seemed like it was setting up some interesting storylines. I agree yeah. with that. Thank you, patrons, for leaving your thoughts. Thank you for supporting the show. Clay, scale one to five. What are you going to give this one? Is this one... Did you answer this? Is this the best one of the final arc so far? You know, I... Mm, I'm very conflicted about that because... I think this is probably the most consistent front to back as far as the stories that they're presenting, but it does feel like if this was like the first episode of the arc, then I would say, okay, we're off to a great start. Yep. But this is episode five, six, five, five, right? This is, this is four, right? No, this is five. You're right. It's five. Five. Yeah. Yeah. So we're halfway through it, and I only now kind of feel like that they're laying the groundwork of the stuff that's really going to matter. Um, it's almost like it was a false start to get to this point. Yeah, yeah. and I think I think that's what's frustrating is that is as even though it is good, it still feels like a setup episode. Mm. Whereas the last one seemed like okay, things are starting to move forward now. Pieces are being moved. Action is happening. Whereas in this one, I feel like the pieces are kind of not really moving at all. Yeah, um, I would, I'd almost think, I I think they just screwed up the pacing and needed to mix. Yeah. Everything that happens in this episode should have been mixed with the other minor events that happened in the prior episodes. Like, instead of Cisco getting married as a major focal storyline, it can do this thing that they do with a lot of the storylines in this one. It's just, it's just a scene or two where it becomes mm-hmm. announced and then it goes on. Especially because... There's no real con- like the founder thing or not the founder the prophets thing is supposed to be the conflict of the Cisco storyline but it's not like narratively satisfying of a conflict it's just like oh yeah. that's something to consider as things go on but and it- also as far as that stuff goes like have we gotten to the part of his path where it's going to be dark if Cassidy's there they haven't brought it up yet if we have yeah to that point, or yeah. or were they just talking about the spice level of his food. <laughs> <laughs> We know, Emissary, how hard you work growing those peppers, and let's just say it's going to be a rough ride from if, here. For if that. you continue, life is going to be nothing but a burnt <laughs> pepper for you, so we know how much you hate that. Now, we'll, we'll see how it is. Uh, I'm, I'll go first, I guess. I'm going to, I think this is the best episode structurally and narratively, and I think like if you, if you force me to watch any of these episodes again, I'd probably watch this one again. Sure. Uh, so I'm going to give this one a four, and I think... It's it's better than any of the other threes that I saw, and I think that 
if you had started off with the storyline with this episode, I think people would be really invested in what was to come after this mm-hmm. point. So, And when I say that, I understand that you can't start the Kai Wynn story from the point where uh, Ducat's getting blinded out of a right. magic book. You yep. know, I, I understand. I'm just I'm saying that as like this style of episode, the way that they laid everything out feels more like a first or second episode than it does the fifth episode. Right. Um, I'm also going to give it a four uh, because I think the stuff that they set up is actually really good. Um, and it is the most consistent as far as as far as uh, putting those those things in play, I think. Thank you guys for listening. We both give it a four and we'll be back with the next episode, which is called, what is that? It's Tacking into the Wind is the next one. So thank you very is much for that listening. one. Is that one a, a uh, Vic Fontaine episode? Is that like <laughs> Bashir is, is bummed out that he can't save Odo's life, so Vic Fontaine takes him sailing at Lake Odo, Tahoe or something? If you're going to die, you might as well go out uh, in Vegas. It's, it's the uh, the riff on that Nick Cage movie where he goes to Vegas to kill himself. Um, yeah. They, just, <laughs> they play that over and over again. What is that? Leaving Las Vegas? That's Leaving Las Vegas. Yes. It? Yeah. Um, Won him an Oscar. Yeah, that's right. That was that was his uh, his serious turn, I suppose. Oh, he, he was serious I, you to know, that point. I think that people who say what happened to Nicolas Cage uh, don't have not actually really watched many Nicolas Cage movies because Leaving Las Vegas, him winning an Oscar for serious acting, is very much the outlier in his his filmography. <laughs> <laughs> He's been weird from day one. He's been um, a restrained weird, I guess. And yeah. he, he gave up on the pretense of doing that. But let's wrap yeah. this up. Uh, thank you very much, guys, for listening. We both give it a four. We'll be back with Tacking Into the Wind. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash file. Otherwise, social media is down below. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord. Discord is if you want to join the conversation. And I think that's pretty much it. There's t-shirts if you want to do that. You can support the show that is, way, blah, blah, blah. Is there a moment at the end of the series where uh, Cisco gets, gets into a fight with Kai Wynn and then pulls a phaser on her and says, Kai win, huh? Well, today you Kai lose. And then shoots her. <laughs> Is it too late to go back and rewrite the ending to this series just to, to make that happen? Was that, was that mentioned in one of those season eight episodes <laughs> they talk about in the documentary? We'll have to wait for the documentary to figure out how things go like that. But thank you guys for listening. We will be back with Tacking Into the Wind. See ya.